Okay, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. We're studying the book of Luke. That's what we do here. Nothing too fancy. We just uh, plow through a book of the Bible. We're looking at Luke and what he says about the kingdom. And this brings us to Luke chapter 9. And I want to entitle this message, The New Way of the New Israel. The phrase New Israel comes from Paul, actually. He calls the church the New Israel. But this is what's starting here in this chapter, Luke chapter 9. And I'll read from the TNIV version, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. This ain't no ordinary. All right. When Jesus had called the 12 together, the 12, the 12 what? Well, it's the 12 apostles. But this phrase had attained such a status that they don't even have to say the 12 apostles. They just say the 12. And we'll see here in a moment that that's very significant. When he called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And what he's saying is, is you know, don't, don't be fly-by-nights. Uh, if, if someone invites you in, develop relationships with them. Uh, he, Jesus believed in relationship evangelism. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. What's that about? We'll look at it in a little bit. So they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I want us to notice that uh, it was the 12 together that went from village to village. They traveled as a group. They stayed together. We'll see in the next chapter that there's a time where Jesus sent them out two by two. But in this chapter, they're to stay together and they go from village to village. And they're healing people wherever they go and proclaiming the good news. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. Herod is, is the king of the Jews. And he was perplexed, puzzled, bewildered. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared. And still others that one of the prophets from long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, well, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see Jesus. Herod is puzzled by this Jesus movement. And he's threatened by this Jesus movement. Pray with me here for a moment. Lord, uh, we're gathered here not to be entertained, to have our ears massaged, but to hear your word and be transformed by your word. And that can only happen if you, Holy Spirit, infuse the words that come out of my mouth with your authority. And so, God, would you give these words kingdom authority to build your kingdom in our hearts and in our minds and purge ourselves of everything that's not of the kingdom, that we could walk out of here more kingdomized than we were when we came. Build your kingdom. Build your kingdom, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Three phrases in this passage that I want to pick apart that I think unlock the meaning of this passage, and it's very significant. First phrase is this. It says he gave them power. Jesus gave them power, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now what's significant about that is, I think, this. Up to this point, this is how Luke has described the ministry of Jesus. In fact, this is how all the Gospels describe the ministry of Jesus. 
Whenever they have summary statements summarizing what Jesus was about, they always include healing the sick, casting out demons, and proclaiming the kingdom of God is, is here. Now, these disciples, these 12 apostles, are being described in these very same terms. What's happening here is that the power and the ministry and the kingdom of Jesus is being transferred over to the apostles. And this is the first time in the Gospels where we're seeing this. Up to this point, Jesus alone has been the walking, talking domain in which God is king. He's the dome in which God reigns. He is the kingdom of God. And now he's replicating that kingdom in the lives of his apostles so that they are going to do exactly what he did and they're going to look exactly like he looks. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus is replicating his DNA, as it were, and pouring it into his apostles, who later on are going to pour it into others. And now we're seeing the kingdom of God advancing. In this one passage, the kingdom of God grew 12-fold. You see? The kingdom always looks like Jesus. It's first in Jesus himself. Then it's going to get into the, uh, uh, be poured into the apostles. Then into the 72 disciples in the next chapter. And then it's being poured out into others. And here we are today. The same thing is happening. The kingdom always looks like Jesus. It always frees people from sickness. It always frees people from disease. It always frees people from demonic oppression. It always loves like Jesus, serves like Jesus, bleeds like Jesus, sacrifices like Jesus. That is the dome in which God is king. It always looks like Jesus. People sometimes worry about, wonder about, what's the true church? How do you know the true church from the false church? And things of that sort. And I suggest to you the, answer, the way to get that question answered is not to ask people what they believe, though belief is very important. But the best way to get the answer to that question is to just look at people. If they're doing what Jesus did, if they're loving like Jesus loved, if they're sacrificing like Jesus sacrificed, if they're setting people free rather than getting life from judging them, that's the kingdom of God. If they're not doing that, it's something else. Maybe good, maybe bad, I don't know, but it's not the kingdom of God. And the only thing that we're interested in, because it's the only thing Jesus was interested in, is seeing the kingdom of God replicated and advancing. And so here the apostles are made part of the kingdom of God, and they look like Jesus, and they do exactly what Jesus did. I want us to notice how simple the kingdom program is. Very simple. Jesus says, heal people, free people, and then proclaim the kingdom of God is here. What he's saying is this. Do the kingdom, and then explain the kingdom. Do the stuff that Jesus did and then just announce this is what the kingdom looks like. And this is what God's doing in the world. And you can be a part of it. Do it and say it. Say it and do it. That is the kingdom. This is, this is the kingdom uh, Jesus style. This is evangelism Jesus style. You do it and you say it. You say it and you do it. Act like Jesus and explain what you just did. That is the whole of kingdom evangelism. To evangelize the world, you don't need to get involved in all sorts of theological squabbles. You don't need to get involved in, 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 in spinning out your particular you know, angle on biblical inspiration or your view of the age of the earth or your view of eschatology and the end time scenario. You don't need to go there. You don't need to get involved in all sorts of political fights. You don't need to get involved in all sorts of ethical fights. When you do that, all we're doing is putting obstacles to people starting to enter into kingdom life. Keep it simple. Serve people, love people, free people, and then just tell people this is the kingdom of God. It really is that simple. Amen. 
Do it, say it, say it, do it. And there's plenty of, 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 of time inside the kingdom as we're relating to one another to talk our theology. That's good. To talk our politics, fine. To talk ethics, fine. But let's have, that's an in-house discussion. When we're reaching out to the world, just do it. And then just say it. And just say it and do it. That's the kingdom of God. A great example of this is the, the, Stur the Sturgis Bike Ministry. Uh, every year we, we've uh, commissioned people to go down to Sturgis, South Dakota. Yeah, some of you know these folks, these bikers. Uh, who ride the, the bikes, some of them are big, burly guys. And, and they, they every year go down to Sturgis, South Dakota, and, and uh, we had a group that, that went with this team and composed of other churches. And all they do is they wash bikes. People's bikes get dirty down there, and all these folks like a nice, clean bike, so they say, can we wash your bike? And if there's any other need that the folks have, they offer to do that too. Are you hungry? We got some food. Are you thirsty? We got something to drink. Uh, is your bike broken? We'll try to fix it. You got a broken truck? We'll try to fix that. And then they say, is there anything else we can help you with? Can we pray for you? Uh, are there any struggles in your family, any physical needs, any spiritual needs? And they just pray for people. And then as the opportunity arises, they just say, the reason we're doing this is because Jesus Christ does this for us, and this is, this is the kingdom of God. And, and uh, we just consider it an honor to love you and bless you uh, in the name of, of, of the kingdom. That's evangelism kingdom style. It's not just about having uh, weird, awkward conversations, you know, with, with people. I was always taught to witness. It means you, you go out on the street and you form these unnatural conversations with people and, and, and you know, getting involved in all sorts of stuff. I used to go door to door, knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus for the first year. And I was sincere, and God blessed me for doing that. But I, I hated every minute of it. I hated it. I felt... You know, like a door-to-door -door salesman, and some people are good at that, but I, it's just not me, but I did it. It wasn't even about the joy of the Lord and wanting to spread the joy. I, I was feeling guilty. I didn't want to go to hell. I thought this was, you know, my job. But it seemed so unnatural, you know, and, and it never resulted in anyone even being interested in, in, in Jesus. But see, evangelism kingdom style is not about forming awkward conversations. It's about doing it and saying it, saying it and doing it. And what we saw at Sturgis, in, in Sturgis, uh, South Dakota, I just found this out on Thursday. I was at a pastor's conference, uh, and uh, one folks, uh, one pastor told me, he says, you hear what's happening down there with that team, you know, that, that's gone down there? And I said, no. And usually they have, you know, a half a dozen or a dozen folks come to Christ in, in this period. Uh, as of Thursday, being down there for four or five days, 50 people, over 50 people had already come to Christ. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's the kingdom, folks. Doesn't have to be awkward. You just do it. You just say it. You say it and do it. We're all called to evangelize like this. Not primarily about our words, but about our life. To, to, to do what Jesus did. Uh, to pray for the sick. To, to pray for healing. To pray to get people free. To serve them in any possible way. To, to just do what Jesus did. We're all called to evangelize like that. Everybody needs a bike to find a bike that can be washed. Everyone needs to be uh, looking for a mouth to feed or a truck to fix or an oppressed person to set free or a lonely neighbor who needs a friend or a sick person that needs some healing. Everybody needs to be involved in some kind of ministry. Maybe it's serving the kids, investing in the lives of the kids or, or, or finding a disabled person who needs a ride to church and you give them a ride to church or, or take them out uh, grocery shopping. We're all called to have a role to play in frontline ministry where we're doing what Jesus did. Now, maybe somebody here is saying, well, wait a minute, I, 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 I give money to the church, and the church supports those ministries, so I'm doing my part in doing that. And thank God you're giving money to the church because we do fund a lot of ministries, and without money, we, we'd have trouble doing that. But I want to encourage you to go a step further. Because that is kingdom ministry, but it's kingdom ministry one step removed. 
There's a part of you, the Jesus DNA in you, is calling you to a front-line ministry where you tithe a certain amount of time, and maybe you tithe your talent, and you get involved in some kind of activism where you're actually doing stuff with your body, you're, you're serving people. You'll find that when you do that, when you do that, your Christianity will become more alive than it's ever been before because you're wired for that. Christ in you is, is calling you to that kind of activism. You may find that as you commit to tithing your time and energy and resources, investing in the lives of others in whatever capacity it is, when you get involved in frontline activity, you may find that bondages in your life start to be broken and, and depression starts to be alleviated. There's something healing about being active and about serving people. It's what you're created for and it's what Jesus died to have you do. Be involved in the kingdom. Uh, find Find a ministry or a people group or, or a need that you can meet. Uh, stop. If you're looking for something, read the bulletin. There's a ton of ministries there. Uh, spend some time in the gathering area, picking up the... There's all sorts of, of, of opportunities out there. If you're in a small group, stop at the community table. We love to plug small groups into various ministries that are around. And if you really are coming up with a loss of how do I get started in this, call Steve Schmidt. He's one of our pastors, and he'd be glad to plug you into certain kind of ministries. Take this gift class that we just advertised that can show you kind of what you're, you're wired for. But everybody needs to be involved in some frontline activity. The kingdom needs you, and you need that activity in the kingdom. Amen. Second point. Let's look at this phrase. He called the 12 together. He called the 12 together. And that may look initially to you like a, a very incidental sort of uh, detail. But in fact, it's full of meaning. If I taught on this back in April, I think it was, when Jesus first called the 12 back in Luke chapter 5. Uh, but the meaning is this. There's a reason why he called 12 and not 13 or 11. And the reason is because Israel in the Old Testament was based on 12. Jacob had 12 sons. And the descendants of those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. So the foundation of Israel was 12, and the structure of Israel was 12. Jesus, by calling the 12, is in essence proclaiming symbolically that he's starting a new Israel. This is the foundation of a new Israel. This new Israel, founded on 12, just like the old Israel, this new Israel will fulfill the mission of the old Israel, which was always to reach the entire world with the truth about who God is and what he's up to in this world. But it's also going to be an Israel that's going to look quite different from the old Israel. Uh, the new Israel grows out of the old Israel, and you can't understand the new Israel without knowing about the old Israel. And God, by the way, isn't done with the nation of Israel yet. The book of Romans chapter 11 tells us that at the end of the age, he's going like, to put bookmarkers there and have a special ministry to the nation of Israel. But in this epic, right here and right now, Jesus is birthing, and we're still part of it now, a new Israel that encompasses not just Jews, but Jews and every other people group. So what's going on in this passage, all the symbolism points in this direction, is Jesus is founding a new Israel, and he's sending it out to conquer a new promised land. Just like with the old Israel. But this new promised land isn't a plot of ground, as it was with the old Israel. This, this, this new promised land is the hearts, are the hearts and souls of all people on the planet. And whenever one of these hearts and souls are brought into the kingdom, the kingdom of God expands. And ultimately, God's goal is to have the entire globe to be the dome in which God is king. So we've got a new Israel, and we've got a new promised land. And he's sending them out to, to conquer this promised land. 
This is also why Jesus tells them to take nothing for their journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and no shirt. As some of you will recall, in the Old Testament, God called, God called uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. And then he says, go into the promised land. And I'm going to help you conquer uh, that, that promised land. But to get there, they had to go through the desert. And they had been slaves for 400 years. And so they're saying, how are we going to do this? Uh, what are we going to eat out there? What are we going to drink out there? What are we going to wear out there? Our clothes are going to wear out. And so the Lord said to them, trust me. I'm going to use this as training ground for you to learn to trust me. I'll send down bread from heaven every day. And you're allowed to collect one day's worth of bread, but not, not two days. Because if you collect two days, that means you're not trusting me for the next day. I want you on a day-by-day basis to learn how to trust me. So the Bible says he, he poured out bread from heaven. And, and another point says, the Bible says that God caused their shoes not to wear out very quickly. Uh, because there's not a lot of shoe stores out in the desert. And so he, he supernaturally allowed their clo- to get more life out of their clothing. God is saying, I'll take care of you. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is the same thing. He's saying, there's a new promised land. You're the new Israel. You go, to the wilder- go through the wilderness to get to that promised land. And as with the Israel of old, I want you to trust God for everything. Don't limit what you can do by being bound by your common sense how much you can carry, how much you can provide for yourself. If God calls you to do it, he'll provide provisions for you to do it. Will you trust him? So the whole symbolism of this passage, the 12 and, and the, 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 the prohibition on taking an extra staff and, and, and bread and a bag and whatever, all of it points in this direction of uh, Jesus founding and sending out a new Israel to conquer a new promised land, calling on them to trust them, for their provisions the way the Jews of the Old Testament did. So there's a lot of continuity between the Old and the New, uh, new Israel, but there's a lot of difference as well. This New Israel, the Old Israel was based on one nation, the nation of Israel. The New Israel is going to encompass, the Bible says, all nations. The Old Israel was based on one ethnicity, the Jewish people, but the New Israel is going to be encompassing all ethnic groups. The old Israel was based on one particular culture, but the new Israel is to to encompass all cultures. The culture of the new Israel is to be a flexible thing that bends and adapts and and encompasses all the different cultures that people bring to it. And the old Israel was based on one particular plot of land, but the new Israel, well, that's going to encompass the entire earth. There's a different kind of power involved in the new Israel as well, and this is so important. In the old Israel, you found occasional miracles. God used prophets to do miracles. But the primary power, the primary power that people trusted was the power of the sword. They conquered the promised land with the sword, and they defended the promised land with the sword. That was the power that people trusted. But that's not at all the kind of power that is going to be operative in the new Israel. The power that Jesus gives his disciples is the power that he himself had. And it is the power to free people. It's the power to free people from sickness and disease. It's the power to free people from demonic oppression. It's a power not to conquer your enemies to acquire a promised land. Rather, it's the power to love, serve, and free your enemies in order to make them the promised land. Very different kind of thing going on. 
The power that the disciples have is the power to heal. It's the power to serve. It's the power to set free. It's the power to transform your worst enemies into your friends. It ultimately is the power simply to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, serve like Jesus, love like Jesus, and bleed like Jesus. It's a new kind of Israel going for a new kind of promised land, walking through a new kind of a desert, relying totally on a new kind of power. It's the new Israel. This is why Herod, Herod was so perplexed. In fact, everyone who was invested in the old Israel was totally perplexed by this new thing that's going on. It looks like God's doing something, but they don't have any categories to put it in. Because they're, they're trying to look at this thing through the lenses of the old. They're trying to hold on to the old wineskins when, in fact, there's new wine that's being poured out. Herod was totally perplexed because his perspective was an old Israel kind of perspective. And in the old Israel perspective, king, the king was the center of everything God was doing. God mediated his authority to Israel through the king. Now, I want you to note that that was never God's ideal. God, in the Old Testament, he, he tells them, I want to be your king. You don't need a king. You don't need politicians. You don't need government. You got me. Even in the Old Testament, God wanted to stay clear of politics. <laughs> but the people were complaining. We want to look like other nations. We want a king. They got a king. We want politicians. They got a politicians. Could we have some bureaucracy and red tape around here, please? So God finally got tired of it and says, fine, you want it, I'll give it to you. So he gives them a king and, and the, the, the whole deal. But it was never God's ideal. Once the king's in place, however, the king was very important. God mediated his authority through the king. It never worked out very well. God told them that, but they wanted it, and so that's what they got. But see, now a new thing is happening which has got nothing to do with the king. It's got nothing to do with bureaucracy. It's not got nothing to do with government. Uh, and Herod just doesn't get it. Uh, you know, on the one hand, there's this crowd following Jesus and I hear this miracle stuff going on. Why aren't I a part of this? That's why he wants to see Jesus. Check him out. He's threatened by this. He's invested in the old and there's something new going on. There's new wine being uh, poured out into uh, the world and it's bursting apart all the old wineskins. And all the people who are really invested in the old wineskins, they're getting nervous. They're feeling the pinch. They're feeling threatened. And that ultimately is why Jesus gets crucified. The newness of the kingdom is central. And so I want to encourage us to always think in terms of the new, not in terms of the old. Everything hangs on our keeping a hold of the new and not reverting back to the old. There's a lot for us to learn from the Old Testament. It's inspired by God. You can't even understand the New Testament accurately unless you're reading it from the perspective of the Old Testament. It's sacred. It's a wonderful book. It's inspired by God. But kingdom people, our worldview and our picture of God and our marching orders comes from the New Testament centered on Jesus Christ, not the Old. And we've always got to hold on to that newness and, and that distinctness for, that, uh, of this kingdom reality that's being birthed in this world. We're part of the new Israel, not part of the Old. And this is especially important for us kingdom people here in America because American religion is packed full, permeated with old Israel kind of thinking. Whenever you find Christians contrasting their supposed righteousness with particular sin groups out there, that's old. That's old Israel thinking. Whenever you find Christians justifying the use of violence against enemies, that's old Israel kind of thinking. Whenever you have Christians trying to spin their nation as being God's unique nation, as though God was still working with a nationalistic program, 
Christian nation kind of stuff. That's old Israel kind of thinking. And whenever you're finding people trying to motivate, thinking it's kingdom activity, to tell the king what to do and to tweak the government and get control of the world through the government, that's old Israel kind of thinking. People, whenever it's convenient, just skip right over Jesus and go to the Old Testament. They're very selective about it. Uh, there's no consistency here. To go back to the sermon I preached last week, uh, I don't find anybody skipping over Jesus going back to the Old Testament to, to preach that women today should wear special garments, letting everybody know that they're going through the time of the month. How come? It's in the Old Testament. Now, if we're going to go back there, let's, let's go back all the way. Yeah. That's why Paul said, if you're going to be subject to the law, you've got to be subject to the whole law. Be consistent about it. I have yet to hear a preacher preach on how Christians should never wear, wear wool and cotton together because that's an abomination to the Lord. I bet every person in this auditorium right now is wearing wool and cotton together. Sinners. That's right there in the Old Testament. See, what happens is people skip over Jesus and go to the Old Testament when they don't find what they're looking for in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament can totally be against what they're looking for, but they still skip right over it and go to the Old Testament. What I'm saying is we need to get our mar much to learn and, and, and much of life value in the Old Testament. It's inspired by God. But our marching orders, our worldview is to, be is to be focused on the New Testament and on Jesus Christ because ultimately the call of the kingdom, folks, is to simply live like Jesus, look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, serve like Jesus, and bleed like Jesus. It's also to trust the kind of power that Jesus trusted. And the kind of power Jesus trusted was not political power, and it wasn't military power, and it wasn't national power. It wasn't the power of the sword. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of self-sacrificial love. It's the power to transform hearts by serving people. It's the power to set people free from sickness and demonic oppression. And if we're thinking in terms of the new Israel, not the old Israel, uh, we'll realize it's not our job to try to control the world. It's our job to serve the world, to minister to the world, to love the world, and bleed for the world. Folks, I believe that in the years to come here, fairly quickly, this is going to be such an important uh, point for us to hold on to. And it will become more controversial than it already is. And I know it's controversial. But here's why. I had a conversation with a guy that really illustrated what I'm getting at here a couple months ago. And he, he's concerned that Islam is growing at such a fast rate. Some say it's the fastest growing religion on the planet. And what we're seeing beginning to happen is that Muslims go into democratic countries and they don't, they don't blend with the culture as a whole. They maintain their own distinctive Islamic ways as a subculture, but they become citizens. And um, uh, they tend to grow faster than the indigenous population, partly because they have a lot of kids, but also because they make a lot of converts. And it can happen that Muslims become a majority in these democratic areas and then we'll use the democratic process to make it into an Islamic state. They say that at the present demographic growth patterns, uh, France, by the year two, two, uh, 2025, will, be, will have an Islamic majority. And they could turn that country into an Islamic state. And in fact, the same thing could happen uh, in, in America. And this concerned this person a great deal. He was saying already, you know, and there's growing hostility kind of starting to happen here, folks. As, as, as the, the culture becomes more pluralistic in this direction, it raises interesting questions like, do you need to, you need to have special checkout lines uh, for people who are offended by touching pork? Uh, do you need to have special taxi cab services for people who won't ca uh, uh, carry somebody who's got alcohol on them? And those sorts of things. France is going through that right now. So this person says to me, 
Pastor, I think it's the job of Christian leaders like you to tell people what we can do about this. Because we've got to nip this thing in the bud. It could happen in a hundred years that America becomes an Islamic nation. Christians become the majority. And that can't possibly be God's will. So we need to stop this. We need to pass laws that keep the growth of, of Muslims in check, or at least the influence of Muslims in check. And, and if need be, and he thought there was a need for this, we need to take up the sword, and we need to fight these battles right now and, and while, we, while we still have time. Uh, otherwise, the whole world could become Muslim. And what concerns me, folks, is that I'm hearing more and more of this kind of talk in Christian circles, but also in non-Christian circles. As acts of terrorism go on, as Islam is growing, uh, people can begin to get paranoid. Things are changing here. And I'm hearing more fighter language, conquering language, actually more crusader language. Here's where we need to ask the question, what kind of power do we trust? How are we going to respond to this? When the rest of the culture is maybe developing animosity towards not only just Muslims, but Arabs in general. And see, most Muslims aren't out there in their mind to conquer the world. They're just trying to survive like religious people. You know, they're just trying to make it. But, 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 but what happens is that the ideology of, of those in power begins to uh, send paranoia and fear into the minds of other people. And so in our culture, there's a growing paranoia about not just Muslims, but Arab folks in general. And, and there can be racial and religious tensions that are going on. And you're hearing more and more of this fight type of language. What kind of power do you trust? And what I told this man and what I'll tell us here today is this. Our job, kingdom people, is to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, love like Jesus, bleed like Jesus. So our job is not to conquer the Muslims. It's not even as kingdom people to pass laws against the Muslims. It's certainly never to pick up the sword against Muslims. Our job, kingdom people, is to love Muslims, serve Muslims, wash their bikes, pray for their sick, free them from demonic oppression when necessary. Our job is to be servants of them. And if need be, our job is to die for them, to look like Jesus in relationship to Muslims. And if it ever happened that America became an Islamic country and Christians became a persecuted minority, then America became an Islamic country and Christians became a persecuted minority. But do you believe God's sovereign or not? And what kind of power are you going to trust? Here's the interesting thing. The kingdom has never grown faster than when it's been persecuted. It's true. And maybe it's because people have a lot easier time living like Jesus lived when they're being persecuted than when they have a whole lot of comfort like we do right now. Who's to say, but that might be a way that God actually advances the kingdom in this world. Now that may sound, I know it probably sounds foolish to some people here. If you're thinking in the natural mind, what I just said probably sounds idiotic, insane, maybe even unpatriotic and irresponsible. So what? <laughs> How, on Good Friday, how rational and sensible does Calvary look? You see, what kind of power are you going to trust? On, Cal on Good Friday, Calvary looks absolutely insane. It looks foolish, which is why Paul says that we're supposed to be fools for Christ's sake. If you're living like Jesus lived, and the, the, the Jesus' DNA is being replicated in you, you ought to look foolish once in a while. If you're not looking foolish sometimes, you got a question. Are you blending in too much with the norm of this culture? We're supposed to stand out because we don't do the commonsensical thing. That, folks, is the kingdom of God. We're the new Israel, always think in terms of the new, the new wine that's being poured out in the world. And part of this newness is that we're called to carry the power of the cross which is serving the world, not the power of the sword, which tries to control and win and conquer the world. Which leads to my last point. Why does Jesus say, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town 
as a testimony against them. That sounds like the old Israel kind of thinking. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? What's with this dusting the, the dirt off your feet? What does that mean? And doesn't it sound kind of spiteful? Like, huh, yeah, yeah, whatever. It, it, sounds, it, it, it doesn't sound consistent with everything I just said about the new Israel. What we're going to see here, follow me on this, is that Jesus is using an old Israel metaphor, but he's giving it a new Israel kind of a meaning. If you look at the culture of the time, you'll find that this, this, this act of, of dusting the, the dirt off your feet, uh, it was used in one of two circumstances among a- ancient Jews. First, when, when, when a Jewish person or a Jewish group would go out into the pagan world, into Gentile territory, when they return to the promised land, sometimes when they reach the border, they dust off their feet before they take a step into the promised land. And what that meant was this. They were saying, we're not going to let that dirty Gentile soil into our holy land. We're not going to pollute our holy land with the dirt of of Gentile soil. Nothing that's part of the unpromised land can mix with part of the promised land. It was their way of trying to keep the kingdom holy. A second way that this was used, oh, and that was a testimony against the Gentiles for the simple reason that they were saying when they did that, you're not part of God's chosen people. You're not part of the promised land. You're unclean. All right? So that that was the meaning of of the act. A second way it was used is this. Uh, When in the ancient world, the first act of hospitality you'd offer somebody is you'd wash their feet. People are walking around on unpaved roads. They don't have socks, haven't been invented yet. Uh, they're either walking barefoot or, or with these sandals. So feet are dirty. And so when you'd walk into a house, they'd have a basin of water. You'd step into the water, and the job of the host was to, to wash and dry your feet. If someone mistreated you in a house, then when you walked out, we, we, we know that this happens sometimes, people would like dust off their feet. And it was a way of saying, you treated me poorly. You, you, you didn't offer me basic hospitality. You didn't wash my feet. I got to wash my own feet. And then that got sort of expanded to be an act that you'd use to just tell somebody, you're treating me poorly or you're treating me like a dog. You just go like this saying, you're, you're not giving me the respect that I deserve. Those are the meanings of this, this act of dusting off your feet in the ancient world. Now, both of those, both of those meanings are old Israel type of thinking. Uh, the first one, when you entered in the promised land, dust off your feet so you don't bring in Gentile soil, it's all premised on the sort of us, them, holy, unholy, Jew, non-Jew kind of thinking that characterizes the Old Testament. And that clearly has no role to play whatsoever in the new Israel, where we're supposed to collapse, as I said last week, collapse the us, them, them distinctions. And the whole idea of dusting your feet off if someone treats you poorly is based on the idea that you have a right to be treated a certain way when you go into someone's house. And while you undoubtedly on a civic level do have that right, part of your job as, as, as belonging to the new Israel is to surrender all your rights. So the meaning of this dusting off the dirt of your feet uh, as it's used in the culture is inconsistent with the new Israel. But as Jesus uses it in this context, he pours new wine into this metaphor. What Jesus is saying here is this. When you go into a town, if they welcome you and invite you in, you stay and develop friendships and just serve them and pray for them. If they reject you, dust the dirt off your feet. When you're rejected, because what he's saying is this. When you're rejected, keep the kingdom holy. Which is what the old metaphor was saying as well. But now notice this. The kingdom is no longer a plot of land. And the kingdom certainly isn't your personal rights. The kingdom is the empowerment you just received to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, love like Jesus, 
uh, free people like Jesus did, and bleed like Jesus. Keep that holy. Don't let any dirt that comes on you. When people treat you dirty, you just dust it off and go on with your kingdom work. You see? That's the, uh, the, the new meaning he's giving it. And that is a testimony against the folks because they're saying, your rejection has no place in the kingdom, and I am a walking, talking version of the kingdom, so this doesn't even land on me, and if it does, I just dust it right off. What you're about is not the kingdom. You are, 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 are separating those two things. The way I might apply today is this. This Sturgis bike missions trip is down there in Sturgis, South Dakota, and they're, they're offering to wash people's bikes and, and, and give them stuff to drink and feed them and, and, and fix their bikes if necessary. They're just servants. But what if they did that? To, they offered that to somebody and this person doesn't accept it? They get mad. They reject them. They, they maybe flip them the bird and do some other obscenities and, and start spitting at them. Maybe they turn, and, they turn others in the crowd against them and they start mocking them and, and shutting them down. It, I'm sure it has happened. Now, it'd be easy for these, uh, these bikers to get sucked into that dirt. It'd be easy to get sucked into that hostility, to start internalizing that animosity. It might be easy for them to want to retaliate. Probably a certain percentage of folks a year earlier, before they accepted Christ, would have retaliated. Especially if they saw that this guy's not as big as they were, could they just go over there and pound the daylights out of him? Uh, here's what we do to people who insult us like that. And though they've been saved for a year, there's something in the side of them that maybe wants to do that. What Jesus is saying here is this. Don't let that mean a thing to you. Just brush it off. You're a kingdom person. You're defined by the king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Don't let somebody define you by their insults. When you, when you, don't sink down to their level. You're better than this. That's dirt. Uh, you know, you're, 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 whole, you're walking holy ground. Don't let any of that defilement come on the inside. Let it go. Dust it off. Leave all judgment to God and just move on. Keep doing the kingdom life. It really is a principle of all of our life. We could call it the shake off the dirt principle. Just shake it off. Just shake it off. Whenever anyone insults you or harms you or threatens you or talks bad about you or talks bad to you, it's easy to get sucked into the animosity, to internalize that hostility. It's easy to want to retaliate. That's all the flesh. What Jesus is saying is, don't go there. No, just dust it off. You're a child of the king. You're, you're kingdom territory. You've been bought with an with a infinite price. Honor that price. Honor the precious jewel that you are. Don't sink down to their level. Don't let anyone or anything define you other than your Lord and God. Just shake it off and move on. Get on with life. If someone demeans you because you're a woman and this is a man's club, if someone excludes you or treats you like a little kid just simply because you're in a wheelchair, or if someone refuses to make eye contact with you, or maybe even have a conversation with you because you're a person of color, it's easy to let that on the inside to get sucked into that hostility and prejudice. It's easy to let that start defining you, and maybe you even want to retaliate. But what Jesus is saying here is this. Don't let it mean a thing. It ain't nothing. It's just dust. Dust it off. You're better than this. You're above this. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're filled with the Spirit. You've got a river of life flowing in you. Don't, don't let anything in this defiled world compromise the beauty of the kingdom of God that is being birthed in your life. Even with regard to the past, folks, it's easy to, to, to let the past continue to defile us. Mom and dad rejected you. The babysitter, the, the counselor, uh, whoever sexually abused you, perhaps. Maybe kids in the schoolyard made fun of your weight or fun of your face or fun of something. And it's possible to go through life with a cancer inside of you because you're still holding hostility and animosity towards that. I've met people over 70 years old that are still mad at, at what their mom did when they were 10. You know, I, honestly, and, and on a human level, I understand it. It was terrible. But Jesus is saying, 
Look at, don't give your mom or the babysitter or the counselor uh, or the kids on the playground the right to keep on defining you. No, you're a kingdom person, which means you're the dome in which God is king, which means only God has the right to define you. Know who you are. Know, know that you've been washed with the blood of the lamb and that you've got that river of life inside of you. Don't sink to this petty, stupid, moronic level of the world. You're better than that. You shake it off. Shake it off. Prince of Life, shake it off. And, and move on. Get on to the next thing. Leave all judgment to God. God will settle all scores at the end of the age. That's his business. That's not your business. It's going to turn out okay. Just move on. You see, it's so important, folks, kingdom people, because this world is a dirty world. Have you noticed it? It's dusty all over the place. It's filled with animosity and hatred and anger and violence and lies and deception. It's just filled. You watch the news, and it's so easy to get sucked in. Or what your neighbor does or what you hear about. And it's so easy to get sucked into the hostility and the anger and the ugliness and the dirt. And it becomes part of you and it starts to define you. And you start walking around with this pollution in your soul. And, and, and you just look at it. You start to become a negative person. And, and, and the joy of the Lord starts getting sucked out. And the power of God starts getting sucked out. You're compromising the kingdom with the dirt of the world. What Jesus is saying is this. Always remember. Never forget. Yeah, the world's going to be dirty. You're going to get dirty. Expect this. He tells us, expect. A lot of dirt's going to come your way. Just dust it off. Uh, just, just go, bing. Don't, don't give it any landing spot inside of you. Set aside, Paul says, all malice, all anger, all bitterness. Don't let any of that pollution of the world get on the inside of you for any reason. It may be totally understandable on a human level why you'd be angry, why you'd be bitter, why you'd be mad, why you'd be walking around with a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, it's understandable on a human level. But see, you're part of a kingdom that's superhuman. It's supernatural. And so you've been given by God, through Jesus Christ, the power to let it go. Just dust it off. Walk new. Walk clean. Don't get polluted. Stay above it. Live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you, Paul says. And everything that's inconsistent with that, just let it go. Let it go. Just shake it off. Sometimes it even helps just to symbolize it. Just, you know, you got some pollution in you? Just, just, just go like this. Just that done with that now next village and move on with life don't be chained to anything would you close your eyes i want to ask the holy spirit to seal this message in our hearts all of us come and from different places and are at different places so it gets applied in different ways so i'm just going to ask three questions and i want to ask the holy spirit to just bring to our awareness what we need to know and seal a commitment in our heart to change if change is necessary. First of all, are you a kingdom person? Are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, move in this auditorium. If you're not, would you make a commitment? And there's something inside of you that's saying you need to be, and I'm here telling you you need to be, would you just surrender your life right now? At the end of the service, come on up here and tell the folks that will be up here, our prayer team, what you did. And they'd like to pray with you and offer you some help on getting started in the, in the, in the kingdom walk. Second question, those who are part of the kingdom, are you a kingdom evangelist? And I'm not talking about striking up awkward conversations that feel unnatural to strangers. I'm talking about living a certain way. Holy Spirit, work now in this auditorium. Is there a ministry that you're supposed to be involved in? Maybe it's children's ministry. 
Maybe it's our renovation ministry. What frontline activity is God calling you to? Because we're all called to some frontline activity. Maybe it's a person or a people group. As the Holy Spirit brings that to your awareness, will you just commit to following that out and getting involved? To do it and say it, say it and do it. Another question. Holy Spirit, keep on working in our hearts and minds. Have you to any degree been polluted with the old Israel kind of thinking that permeates American religion? Is there a part of you that bristled when I was talking about loving and serving the Muslims? If the Holy Spirit convicts you of that, will you just surrender it to God and say, Lord, replicate your Calvary DNA in me. Help me to let go of my self-protective old ways of thinking and embrace the Jesus way of thinking. Let it go. Finally, Holy Spirit, keep, keep moving here. Is there any dirt in your life you need to shake off? Has anyone defiled you and you need to let it go? Are you carrying around someone's pollution? Something said recently, maybe something said 25 years ago, something done to you, but you, you're walking around with unholy dirt. Will you shake it off? God has empowered you to shake it off. Know that you're a kingdom person. You're defined by God, not by the babysitter or the cousin or the boyfriend or the father or the mother or anyone else. Don't let dirt defile you and define you. Will you shake it off right now? Maybe you want to even shake your hands just to symbolize before God. I'm letting this go. I am letting this go. And Holy Spirit, will you just help us do that? Let it go. Just let it go. Dust it off. It has no place on you. Cleanse us, O Lord. Free us, O Lord. As I close with an empowering prayer, I want you to know that the front of the auditorium will be open after the service. We'll have our prayer team up here. Uh, you're invited to come forward. If you want to become a kingdom person for the first time, come forward. If you have any need whatsoever you want to be prayed for, uh, you can come forward and kneel on your own or pray with these folks. But I encourage you to do that. But now, Lord, as we leave here, we pray, God, that the empowerment that you gave to the 12 apostles and then to the 72 would now be on us. We want to be extensions of your kingdom, replications of your DNA. And so, Father, as we leave this place, God, help us to do it with an awareness of the authority that we have to pray for the sick, to free people from demonic oppression, the power we have to serve people, even our enemies, the power we have to love, the power we have to care, the power we have to have a gentle attitude towards those that others maybe are having increasingly hostile attitude towards. Holy Spirit, build your kingdom in us and build your kingdom through us to every person, in every place, in every circumstance. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.